0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. And man, we have a real treat with uh, for you today. That is uh, Manny Arango, uh, interviewed on the podcast. Now, you may hear that name and say, Cynthia, I don't know who that is. I'm sure he's great. Um, but you may know the church that he is affiliated with. Uh, you may have heard of his book recently released. it's called Brainwashed. Uh, this guy has done all kinds of work in, um, well, yeah, just in in I would say the American church, especially and beyond. Um, and he is on staff at social. Uh, social Dallas, I believe it's called which is pastored by a guy named Robert Maddo, who you maybe have heard of if you're a Christian American um, or an American Christian. I think that's the right way uh, to say it. But anyway, uh, this guy's amazing. And the book Brainwash is really about finding your identity in Christ and it is very practical. This guy's a cool thinker. Like, he's got cool ideas and concepts, and he explains his thoughts well. But then he's got some practical elements as well. And so, when I got connected with him, heard a little bit about what he's doing and sort of what he's focused on, I wanted to get this guy on. And um, this was a really cool interview. He is definitely a preacher. And you'll see that as we kind of get in. He's, um, yeah, he's just like very charismatic, very an- animated great storyteller and um and really not afraid to uh explain his thoughts and um and he does it in a way that's just very very understandable so um so it was a great interview we talked about all kinds of stuff but the thing i want to say and and he actually says this in the podcast is all behavior stems from identity and so often we try to fix behavioral issues with behavioral solutions instead of tackling um you know our language is tackling the roots his language would be tackling the identity, you know, what is the identity that's kind of driving all of this? And so we just did a deep dive on that. We talked a little bit about scrolling and how scrolling is a real big problem in our society and some practical ways to deal with it. We talked about how overcorrection is almost never a good thing and um and then we talked a little bit about just new hardware and and what we mean by that is like your new identity and how to walk out in that so it's a really good interview i do want to read his bio because this will just give you a really well-rounded idea of who this guy is you're about to hear from and then we'll jump right in manny arango is a bible nerd a storyteller a troublemaker an overcomer and a revivalist passionate about fighting for people who have lost their voice manny strives to inspire those who have lost hope or have settled for mediocre Born in Boston, but based in Dallas, Texas, he is the teach- uh, He is a teaching pastor at Social Dallas under pos- Pastor Robert Madu. He is also a full-time itinerant preacher as of January 2020. Manny graduated from Southeastern University in December 2019 with a master's and is currently continuing his education at Northern Seminary for a doctorate in New Testament studies. He deeply values Bible literacy and founded ARMA, an academic Bible study tool that reflects his heart to equip and champion God's people. Without further ado guys, here's my interview with Manny Orango. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash The Man Within. All right. Well, I'm here with Manny Arango, author of Brainwashed. Dude, you wrote a killer book and I am so honored to have you on the podcast here today. Welcome. Hey, I'm honored to be
1: on the podcast and uh, thank you. Like, thank you for, uh, thanks for reading the book. And then thanks for, <laughs> thanks for the kind words. Uh, it means a lot. It means a whole lot. It's like a yeah. vulnerable and transparent process of like writing a book, you know. It's it's like, sometimes you can be on stage, you may say something that's vulnerable or transparent, but then you get off stage and it's over where with a book, it's like, no, like countless amounts of people can like read this. It's like permanent, you know, it's, it's like a tattoo.
0: Yeah.
1: It means a lot that, uh, that, that you like the book. Thank you.
0: Oh yeah, no, I really did. I was telling you before we hit record, you're a great storyteller and really intersected that nicely with your concepts because you have uh really good concepts and that, That's why I wanted you on the podcast. So I'm really excited to have you. And if you don't mind, I'm just, we're going to cut straight to the chase. Sometimes we have people set things up, they tell their story a little bit, but you just have too much good content. So I just want to dive in. Is that all right? Let's dive in straight into the deep end. Let's do it. All right, man. So you hit a lot on this whole identity concept. Obviously, that's kind of one of the centerpieces when we're talking about, you know, the mind of Christ and taking thoughts captive and all that. And uh, you made the statement, something to this effect, I think, I think I paraphrase this in my notes here, but too many people try to update dead hardware. And um, that was a reference in people trying to uh, resurrect their old man instead of uh, really embracing their new man and the sure. mind of Christ that they've been given. Can, can you just talk about that a little bit? What, why, what do you mean when you say people make the mistake of trying to update their dead hardware? And what does it actually look like to have the mind of Christ?
1: Yeah, two things. So in that section of the book, there's actually this metaphor that I'm using. I had had this like old MacBook. Right. And I'm I'm 35. So when I was in college, Apple had just came out with these new black MacBooks. It was the first time. Right. Like MacBooks had kind of been like they they were white. They were white plastic MacBooks. And now you could have this black one, like black plastic MacBook. Uh, And man, I always was diligent about all the iOS updates, you know. And then I remember trying to get like Snow Leopard and this thing was like, no, you know. So I go to the Apple store, uh, talk to a Mac genius and I'm like, hey, like, you know, I'm trying to update, you know, my software. And he says, well, the problem is um, these computers, like these laptops um, are no longer compatible with the new software because they're too old. Um, And. I think sometimes in church we try to give people new thoughts but they don't need new thoughts they need a new mind they need to become a new person like like it's the equivalent of me trying to give my laptop new software the laptop does not need new software the hardware has to change i need a whole (laughs) new computer like this is not something that can happen with the with the press of a button or like a download no, this is like, hey, this whole laptop, it's trash. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> Get rid of this one, okay? I know you love having your friends over in your dorm, and you're in photo booth. I'm, I don't know if you remember when that was cool. Like, <laughs> I do you know, remember that. Yeah. Everyone gathered around a laptop, you know, like hitting, hitting. So all funny. of funny. That was like the original filters, you know, like they it were was. in photo booth. They were on in photo booth, laptop.
0: and yo, know, straight to social media after to tell everyone how cool you were. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so I would say, you know, the mind of Adam is the mind that we're all born into. The mind of Adam is always going to be insecure. It's always going to be depressed. It's always going to be full of lustful thoughts. That's the mind of Adam. That that's just characteristic of the mind of Adam. Hmm. We're not trying to put lipstick on a pig. I, I've sat in too many <laughs> Sunday services where, like, you know, the pastor's trying to get people to think more peaceful or think more joyous. Well, people are going to do that for maybe 20, like 24 to 48 hours. And then by Wednesday, you know, they need another shot of church again. They, think yeah. they they kind of become addicted to church. Well, it's because instead of giving them a new mind, like instead of teaching them like, hey, like your mind, your the mind of Adam that you were born into, that you were born with needs to be rejected. <laughs> it needs to be discarded and you need to adopt a new mind. And when you adopt a new mind. Man, the thoughts, thoughts actually flow out of a renewed mind, out of a regenerated mind, mm. out of a redeemed mind, out of a out of a new creation. I I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so yeah. I'm not just the old creation trying to have the right thoughts. No, I'm, I'm a new creation. And um, second thing I'll say in this that I think will kind of connect some dots for us is people will always act based on the identity they believe okay so behavior flows from identity if Mm -hmm. i believe there's a study uh two two classrooms of kids um the the first uh classroom teachers believed that these kids were straight a students uh, and so they treated them that way. And because they were treated that way, they became straight A students. Well, <laughs> actually, they were not straight A students. They were <laughs> they were all failing students. Okay, And then the other group uh, were actually straight A students. But the the principal okay, told the teachers, hey, these are all failing students. So the teachers treated them that way. And so they began to fail. And so w- we act out of the identity that we believe we are. Identity is the driving force of our behavior. This is why yeah. Paul, in many of his letters, uh, let's take Ephesians, right? He's like, you're the righteousness of God. You you, you are the hope of glory. Like, you're, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are, you yeah. are. And then, like, at the halfway point of the book, that's when he starts getting into behavior. Right. Because he knows, like, if I just tell you how to act without convincing you that you are no longer a Gentile, you're no longer a sinner, you are no longer whatever you think you are, then man, we're, we're, we're doomed. Like this is is just going to be behavior modification, (laughs) which most people are not good at. It takes uh, uh, 99.9% of people do not do well at behavior modification. And if they do, you know, perform better or modify their behavior, typically, you know, it's, it's uh it's like the game of whack-a-mole. Like whatever you whatever you hit here is going to pop up somewhere else. Yes. So whatever you suppress in one area, you're going to the volcano is going to erupt somewhere. Yeah. And so behavior modification is actually what I would say, like suppression. Uh, and, and and a lot of people struggle with sexual suppression, especially in the Christian space. Yeah. Um. And so you're just playing a game of whack a bowl, whereas that's that's just not that's not what God wants. That's not the best. So uh, yeah. I would say actual transformation which mind mind renewal which is rooted in hey belief or identity is not something that i discover identity is something that i receive from god and believe i believe Mm -hmm. that this creator knows more about me than i know about myself and so i have to make a decision to trust him that if he says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or if he says that I'm the righteousness of God, uh, then I actually believe that. I've got a righteousness of God story. Can I tell that story really quick?
0: Yeah. Can I just hop on real quick and then we'll jump into it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: so um, I, it's so funny you use that metaphor because I did an episode maybe a couple months back about recovery whack-a-mole. And okay. it was the exact same idea. Like a lot of people, when they're trying to get porn out of their lives or that kind of thing, it's like, okay, I'm going to put the internet filter on. Because the logic of it makes sense. It's like, this is going to block me from doing the thing I don't want to do. But like you said, it's all behavior modification. There's no heart transformation. There's no identity shift. Sure. And so it doesn't work for a while. And then we're like, oh, shoot, that didn't work. You know what? I'm going to read my Bible more. Obviously, you should read your Bible more. But like, you know what I mean? Sure. It's all done with that thing. It's just whacking a all. Yes. Not getting to the root issue. And um I, I just love that you use that. Um tell me your righteousness story. And then I have I do have another question about this okay. for you. Okay. I,
1: I don't know if I tell the story in the book. I'm not really sure, but I've I've told the story in conjunction with some of the brainwashed material like on stage. Just don't know if it's in the book. Okay. Um and it's funny, like I was probably a young adult coming out of college, probably maybe 21, 22. and uh, I was struggling with pornography. And so my friend, Brian Bullock, my my best friend, um, was married at the time, was, you know, porn free. He was probably like five years older than me. Um, we've always been best friends, but because he's five years older than me, there's always been like this kind of older brother vibe yeah. that me you, and him have. You definitely talked about this in the book. I remember this. Yeah. Okay. So I remember like struggling with porn and 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 Brian says, hey, dude, anytime you mess up, whatever happens, like however you fail, just give me a call. that's the only thing i want you to do just call me okay and so of course like you you watch porn you masturbate you're you do something that you know you're not supposed to do you feel guilty this action of just calling and confessing began to break that cycle of shame okay so i call brian and he's like hey man i just want to let you know you're the righteousness of god in christ jesus this is not what I'm expecting Brian to say. I'm expecting Brian to say, come on, dude, you only made it a week or you could have done better. I'm expecting conviction, condemnation, whatever. All Brian says is you're the righteousness of God. Well, this happens like it happens the next week. It happens the next week. Like every time I mess up, I call Brian and he tells me I'm the righteousness of God. Finally, I'm like, ah, dude, this isn't, I don't know that this is what I was signing up for. I was signing up for accountability, you know, like I kind of want to. I need you to be like the trainer at the gym. Like, I need to be scared of you, you know? Like, I need you to, like, you know, give it to <laughs> me. Smite might you know? be a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, nah, Manny, like, one of these days, you're actually going to believe. You're going to believe that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hmm. And when you actually believe that, porn won't be desirable to you anymore because you'll see it as something that's beneath you. You'll hmm. see it as something that is not, unbefitting of who you are Hmm. actually your behavior is not the thing that we need to be focused on your Hmm. identity is what we need to be focused on and i think that um it's so easy to just try to put a band-aid on any issue it's so tempting because reading my bible is a good thing having a a a website blocker is a good thing yeah but paul says in the new testament the law is a good thing but the sin living in me takes advantage of this thing that is actually good and then corrupts it. And so what is what is necessary? Well, the gospel, the gospel is necessary. Grace is necessary. Hmm. Identity, acceptance of my identity um is necessary. and and that's harder work, but man, it's so much more. Um it has all of these beautiful, ramifications and by ramifications i mean you know positive consequences yeah. um when we actually begin to believe what god has said about us um you know i love lion king right uh and simba develops these new appetites as a result of new friendships timon and pumbaa kind of introduce him to slugs and bugs and he starts eating <laughs> stuff that he'd never eaten before um and i think pornography is an appetite you develop an appetite for 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 something that is not as nutritious, not as healthy, but gratifies your flesh. And then, of course, you know, Rafiki finds him and Rafiki doesn't bust out into like a dang Simba, your breath stink like your breath smell (laughs) like slugs. Like, what are you doing? No, Rafiki says, like, look, look into the water like, who are you? Rafiki has this moment with Simba where he jolts him back into reality so that he can remember who he is, Hmm. he can remember that That, wait, if I'm royalty, if I'm a king, then that comes with a certain diet and there are appetites that it's not that this is sin in the condemnation uh, tone. It's this is so beneath me. Like, what am I doing here? What am I doing on this website? What am I doing having secrets like what am I what am I doing like this isn't me? There, there is a counterfeit version of me that is trapped in the mind of Adam that is doing these things. And so, um, anyway, I think that's what Paul is wrestling with in Romans. Uh, yeah, w- yeah, that that the first thing that you have to really believe is um, that that you are the righteousness of God, that you're made in the image of God, that you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God. Yes. I think once identity actually, you know, it takes some time. For your behavior to correct because there's some patterns and some muscle memory. Yeah. Um, but man, when you actually begin to believe, no, that's not me. That wasn't me. Yep. Um, that I don't even recognize that person that acted yeah. that way. Like I believe I'm a new creation. And um, so that's hard. And and I know hopefully we're trying to get concepts rooted into reality and give handles. Um, but I know this is highly conceptual, but, but it is practical, you know, um, percent. Oh, yeah, yeah, so. no,
0: hundred percent. And in your book, you talked about, you kind of identified three like particular areas where we need to make this transition. If we really want to acquire the new hardware, you talked about independence to intimacy, Insecurity to identity and isolation to interdependence, and mm-hmm. um, I highly recommend people get the book um, if they want to go a little bit deeper. We don't have time to go through all of these today, but I wondered if you could touch on isolation to interdependence. Yeah, because yeah. Because I think that's a big one. I think, um, I think this whole concept of interdependence is lost in our society. Yes. Um, you know, you have like kind of the feminist movement that's like about being the strong, independent woman. For sure. um, you have a very individualized North American society that is all about like building my own life, doing things my own way, um, creating my own legacy. And I think the on the flip side, like a lot of our clients and probably a lot of listeners actually feel tons of isolation, right? Yes. Because because we're actually such a lonely society because we don't know how to connect. We don't know how to experience interdependence. And I think we've done it to ourselves a, a little bit in the name of being independent and trying to create this own like legacy for ourselves. So yeah. I I just love that you went there and I, I didn't previously connect it as like, this is part of kind of the new man and the identity in Christ and the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. And once I was reading it through, I'm like, oh, of course, like it was so obvious. I'm just wondering if you can maybe touch on it and give, give us a, a nugget or two from this. Absolutely. I'll give a couple of nuggets. The, the reason that it fits
1: is because the mind of Adam, uh, in order to really discover what we mean by the mind of Adam, we have to go to Genesis. Right. And so what happens, the first thing that the, that the serpent does or that Satan does is to convince Adam and Eve of thoughts about God that are not true. So that's the first kind of step in the mind of Adam is to entertain thoughts about God that aren't true. Second, If I entertain thoughts about God that are not true, I will sin. All Mm -hmm. disobedience is rooted in distrust of who God is. Okay. Um, And if I don't trust him to give me identity, if I don't trust him for whatever, I'm going to then entertain untrue thoughts about myself. So, what's the next thing that happens to Adam? He realizes he's naked. This is not a point of like pride. He's not streaking through the garden. He is like ashamed. He wants to cover up. And then what happens? He's not just covering up from God. Or from himself, he's covering up from Eve and then he blames Eve. So the next thing, the next domino is that if I entertain thoughts about God that aren't true, I'm going to entertain thoughts about myself that aren't true. And Mm. if I entertain thoughts about myself that aren't true, I will inevitably entertain thoughts about others that are not true, which means I'm going to isolate, which means I'm going to go into either idolatry, where I esteem people higher than they should be esteemed, which is isolation, or I'm going to judge people. I'm going to compete with people. I'm going to gossip about people, which uh, seems like the opposite. But it's rooted in isolation. It It's still even if I deify someone, even if I you know, if this is why celebrity culture in church is so harmful, because actually it harms the pastor. The moment I idolize the pastor, I isolate him from being able to receive love and connection um, and an accountability in in family from the body of Christ. And so um so isolation, okay, is the natural result of the mind of Adam. So in our culture, a lot of times we we tend to overcorrect instead of correct. This is just a cultural trend. This is just humans. Okay. Humanity 101. (laughs) Instead of correcting, we will overcorrect. So yeah um I grew up in a home that was very codependent. So codependency means, you know, you've got some needs. I've got some needs. we use used those needs as leverage. Okay. It's a need to be needed. So my dad was a drug addict. Um, my dad was an addict, but he worked. My mom was clean, um, but she was an American citizen and she had government housing. So they used those needs as leveraged over leverage over the other. So, hey, I, I know you want me to get clean, but I mean, you can't kick me out because if you kick me out, you won't have money and so on and so forth. Like it mm-hmm. it's a codependent relationship. It's toxic. Um, I think that for anyone who's grown up in a codependent, um, you know, or any kind of toxic or abusive. You know, environment, the overcorrection is to go to independence, is <laughs> to go from codependence right. to independence. I'm never going to depend on anyone again. I'm never going to be vulnerable again. I'm never going to let anyone take advantage of my needs again. I'm never. This is you. You know, you brought up feminism. This is the overcorrection. Okay, w- women have been, you know, uh, abused in our society. Have been traumatized in our society. There's lots of things that women have endured in our society, and I get this. Like, even as a minority, like I'm like, yeah, man. Like, y- y- there's lots of 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 trauma that Black people have experienced in America. But we have to be careful not to overcorrect. We we need. To correct. Correction is necessary. But if we overcorrect, we're going to find ourselves in just as negative of a circumstance just on the other side of the pendulum. And so the the nice, you know, and of course, we know this in our society right now. Extremes are easy. (laughs) Extremes are easy to understand. They're easy to identify with. They're easy to get identity from. I'm a liberal. I'm a conservative. I'm a this. I'm a that. It well, if an identity is easy to accept, then it's it's probably not full of life, probably not going to be full of meaning and purpose. Identity in God is not an easy concept to like actually accept. So it's pretty dang on difficult, uh, Um. which means it's worth it. OK, so yeah. balance and tension and like, you know, Avoiding the ditch that's on both sides of the road, I would call that interdependence that I recognize that, like Paul says, as the eye, I can't say to the nose that I don't need you. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, I, I can't isolate just because there's differences. I have to see the value that you bring to me, know the value that I bring to you, but never leverage those to abuse you or to hang that over your head. I extend myself in a loving way um, to add value to you and vice versa. So me and my wife, we we seek. I mean, interdependence is a word that we use a lot. Like we're a team. We're Shaq and Kobe. Okay, like we, we like you can't shoot free throws and and I ain't grabbing as many rebounds. It's fine. I don't need you to be me and I don't need to be you. We're not going to be codependent. We're not going to be independent of each other. We're going to yeah. be in an interdependent relationship. And I'm never going to say, well, I, I do this. It's like, I'm not going to use what I bring to the table as leverage over you. That's toxic. That's only going to isolate me from the other person. And so yeah. the, the the whole thought of isolation really, you know, came from, from two things. Number one, I was in the UK randomly enough, maybe three or four years ago and my friends were telling me about this thing called snuggle buddies like you could get you could actually pay someone Dude, to come it's like a to your house industry. yeah oh yeah and cuddle with you and i just went we are broken something yeah. is wrong you know yeah. and um actually i was in therapy because my dad my my biological father took me to a crack house for the first time when i was 5 years old wow. and so um my dad struggled with a with a cocaine addiction for for most of my life. Um, and I'm in therapy and uh, the the therapist asked me, you know, would you be this angry at your father if he had cancer? And I said, no, no, but you can't control getting cancer. He said, I want you to see addiction a little differently. I want you to begin to see addiction like a disease. It's going to help you mm-hmm. to actually forgive your dad. And he said, the reality is that um, addiction and substance abuse are not the same thing. Your, your father just tends to struggle with both of them. Okay, so he's addicted to a substance. So he's abusing a substance and that has got him addicted. However, addiction in and of itself is an inability to bond with other humans. So let's say you or I, there's a lot of reasons why I would never get addicted to drugs. It would rob me of my relationship with my wife. It would rob me of my relationship with my son. Addicts use people to get to things, whereas normal relationships use things to help them to love people. And so by living with an addict, uh, you know, it was it was actually you could see it. My dad, his priority was his next high. And the addiction cycle is don't feel, don't trust, don't tell the truth. So so it's it's to numb yourself. Don't feel anything. Don't let yourself feel pain. Don't let yourself feel disappointment. Don't let yourself feel much of anything. And then definitely don't trust. (laughs) Don't tell anybody. Can't risk. It's just you and drugs. You know, it's you and whatever. And then don't be honest. Don't be honest with anybody else. Don't be honest with yourself. And here's the kicker. So I'm in therapy. You know, me and this therapist are now six, seven, eight months in. And he goes, you and your father are the same. You see this man as different than you, but you don't have a substance that you abuse, but you're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to acceptance. You're addicted to validation. You're addicted to work. There's lots of things that you are addicted to, but because there's not a substance, because there's not a drug, you you have merged addiction and substance abuse in a way that's actually not healthy. Actually, there's... Substance abuse, there's addiction, there's physical dependency. It's multiple. When we say addiction, sometimes we mean all of those things, but those things are actually separate categories. And it made me have grace for my father. It made me realize the person that's without sin should be casting the first stone. Let me drop my rock right here. Yeah. And I actually ended up reconciling with my dad, forgiving my dad, and beginning to build a relationship with my father. And wow. that relationship, actually helped him to use drugs less and less and less because I had been kind of playing this spiritual manipulation game where I was like, well, if you stay clean, then I'll have a relationship with you. Well, right. actually, the thing that made him not clean was a lack of relationships. So I'm only <laughs> furthering to push him in to the vicious cycle that he's already in. Like, well, I don't have a relationship with my son. I have nothing to lose. I may as well get high again. And I yeah. think that we have to begin to value whether it's pornography, whether it's actual drugs, whether it's scrolling, whether it's social media addiction, whatever it is, you know, even me, I have a 16 month old son and there are times where I intentionally go, wait a minute, like me and my wife battle with infertility for five years. I'm, I'm on the floor with my son, but I'm also like checking notifications on social media. Let me go put my phone in my bedroom mm. and enjoy this boy's presence yeah like so the opposite of addiction is not sobriety the opposite of addiction is true connection with other people true the opposite of any addiction is that i have a flourishing relationship with my wife i have a flourishing relationship with my son it is interdependence and that is the beautiful thing god looks at adam and he says ah it's not good that he's alone you know (laughs) and there's a lot of us that we're alone and because we're alone Pornography is easy because we're alone. Addiction is easy because there's not a lot on the table to lose. Yeah. Whereas if there were deep relationships, real relationships where people knew you in a real way where you could pick up the phone and say, dude, I struggle with pornography again. You know, my relationship with Brian had to be deep enough for that to even be the case where there was that much transparency. And so I would say, yeah, it, 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 we're so scared of the very thing that could heal us. We're so scared of deep, genuine, authentic relationship. But we're designed for it. We are literally designed for it. And obviously the enemy wants to use it, you know, in its negative form. In peer pressure and in, you know, herd mentality. The enemy wants to hijack it. But at the yeah. end of the day, we're designed by God to be communal creatures. And we have to, like, find... um we have to stop reading the Bible individualistically and start, start reading it corporately and invite ourselves and into the, you know, what I would call the covenant community of God, which is the church.
0: Yeah. Healing. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, we, we realized pretty early on in our programs that even like, I mean, I used to do a lot more one-on-one stuff and Mm -hmm. we just saw that when people were in in communities, the experience was so much better. The results were better. And it's not that like, we can offer something great one on one, but there's just there's no substitute for connection. Right. And um I I love that you hit on that. I, I want to switch gears a little bit because uh, you you mentioned this concept in the book that that we talk about. I was telling you, we kind of talk to this at like high, higher levels once people are in our system for a longer time. Mm-hmm. And that is the difference between the logos word and rhema word and man i mean that that could we could do another episode on just this alone but we we really do emphasize the value of hearing god's voice that fresh spoken rhema word um but of course everything everything that we do is is principled or if not directly from scripture Mm -hmm. you have logos word in there as well and i guess what i specifically want you to talk about is what does it look like for you know you travel a ton you just launched a book you're speaking you're consulting churches what does it look like to have a balance, or or a good mixture of the logos word, where you're reading God's written word, um, and also Rhema word, where you're regularly hearing from Him um, and getting you know specific insights or or freshly spoken things into your life? What does it actually look like for somebody to make sure they have a, a good balance of this in their walk? I would honestly
1: narrow this down to like one verse, um, and the Bible the Bible says of itself. <laughs> That the word of God is alive and active. Okay. So if, if if that means that this book, that the thing that makes it unique, obviously is that it's, it's, it's inspired by the Holy spirit. Yes, absolutely. But the, the Holy spirit that inspired this book is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, which is the same spirit that lives in you. So if the spirit raised Jesus from the dead, then that means that this book is not just words on a page, but this book is alive. It's alive. It's active. It's just alive as Jesus is. And it's just alive as you are. Okay. So the same spirit that inspired the scriptures is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. And it's the same spirit that lives in you. So therefore there, there's gotta be some resonance between what happens with the spirit of God that has been deposited in me when it interacts with, with the spirit of scripture. So a lot of times we talk about the, the word of Scripture, like the, the the meaning of Scripture, highly important. I'm big on biblical literacy. I'm in a doctoral program in New Testament theology right now. I'm a Bible nerd. Th- yes, absolutely. We need all the hermeneutical tools we can get. We study the Bible for its original meaning to its original audience all the time. Yeah. However, if I lock the Bible into what it meant historically— for the original audience and the original author, then actually I kind of undermine its, its activity in its life for me today. So the Bible isn't just to be studied with my mind, but the Bible is to be interacted with spiritually. So I always tell people like, Hey, when you read the Bible, sometimes the enemy could trick you into believing that if you didn't understand everything you read, that it was a waste of time.
0: Yeah, But right.
1: let me help you with this because your spirit's alive, okay? And when you read the Bible, you're not just reading the Bible as a brain. You're not just reading the Bible as your emotions. You're reading the Bible as a whole being. Yeah. And I would describe revelation, those aha moments, as moments where your mind finally understands things and can put things into words that your spirit has already known. And you'll never get to those aha moments if you don't actually push past the instant gratification, the desire for instant gratification to understand everything you're reading. I don't need <laughs> to understand everything I'm reading. I need to read to feed my spirit because man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. Right. If I'm, if I'm just putting myself on a diet of God's word, what begins to happen. And I think some people don't see these as connected uh, what begins to happen is that the the rama, so that's the spoken word of God. Um, the logos is the written word of God. When I actually put myself on a pretty healthy diet of like, and I mean, four or five times a week of it can just be a verse. I'm not even big on like read a whole book or read a whole chapter. No, I just meditate. Like it could be a line of scripture. Yeah, like it could be a couple of verses quantity is not what matters here the word of god is alive and active (laughs) a little bit of the word is better than a lot of whatever else you need to read um it's potent right like the difference between buying cologne from the barbershop and buying cologne from the actual cologne retailer is that (laughs) the the bootleg cologne at the barbershop you need like 30 squirts and only lasts for uh, five minutes because it's not potent Whereas the actual Eau de Parfum instead of Eau de Toilette, you know, is not watered down. It's more potent. So you need three squirts of Tom Ford and you're good for like the next five days. And so the word of God is potent. Okay. You don't actually, you you don't need a ton of it. You don't need to put all this pressure on yourself that I'm going to memorize 50 verses. And uh, I get, you know, it's like, hey, the word of God is alive. It's alive. Okay if if you if you just get a little bit of it into your spirit it begins to give life to your spirit and what begins to happen is throughout the day you begin to have thoughts that aren't the mind of adam thoughts you begin to have thoughts that uh are actually inspired by the by the logos that yeah. you've consumed yeah. And I think a lot of people just assume like, oh, yeah, I had some good thoughts today, you know, as if you generated <laughs> those thoughts. No, you gave the spirit something to work with. And so yeah. I think that the Rama and the logos, they work in tandem. Right. And we see it in scripture. The Pharisees represent an extreme. They have the logos. They have the written word of God. But they are rigid. They are traditionalists. You know, they they are rejecting the Rama word of God. Uh, Mm. Abraham you look at Abraham you know um if Abraham had only heard what God said not heard what God was saying Mm. he would have killed Isaac okay the the word that he received from God was go sacrifice Isaac okay great but then there was another word stop (laughs) don't do it right and so I think sometimes we assume um I think a lot of people are really stuck on like what God said, like last week or last month or last year. Mm. Um, and God really does want to speak to you every day for real. I don't say that to exaggerate. God really does want to communicate with you every Legit. day.
0: Yeah, And that's um,
1: there's also a difference between what God says and what God means. Um, you know, anyway, that's a whole other, you're <laughs> right. This Rama logos, yeah, the whole episode. Um, but I think I, creating some kind of rhythm, in your life where you give space to hear from the Lord every day um, is is I, I battle with flight anxiety for years, um, which is really unfortunate because I'm on planes like you travel a lot three yeah. or four times a week. <laughs> um, And and somebody asked me like, well, how'd you get over it? And I said prayer. However, I, I don't know that we are saying the same thing when we say the word prayer. When mm. I say prayer, I mean I'm simply asking the Lord, what is it in me? What's in me that's causing me to be this anxious when there's turbulence or this anxious when I'm on flights, I'm spending five minutes asking that question and I'm then mm. going to spend 30, 40 minutes listening, listening yeah. throughout the day. Like that, that this is supposed to be a conversation. And what he has to say is actually way more valuable than what I have to say. Yeah. And, um, I think we've we've really made prayer venting instead of instead of what it's supposed to be. so that's um, good, man. I think really the, the 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 Rama word of God is 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 the response. it's it's love longs to communicate. God yeah. wants to communicate with you. he's He's a loving father, he wants to talk to you. He wants to, he wants to take the word of God, the the principles that are in his word and he wants them to make them specifically applicable to you in your life. Yeah. And outside of intimacy, that cannot happen. There has to be an intimate relationship for 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 that process of the general ideas of scripture to become specific to your life. Yeah. Um, and I think that God works in tandem with his logos and with his rhema to really allow his word to renew to the for the water of the word to actually like wash wash you and cleanse you, um, and and wash your brain to wash your mind.
0: Yeah. Really good, man, really good. Okay, um, I wanted to ask you this question here before we kind of start to wrap. You said in the book, scrolling is emotionally and spiritually carcinogenic. And uh, I was telling you this off camera, like I think scrolling is the gateway drug for our, I would probably say our generation, certainly for our user base, people that are trying to get free of porn and lustful behaviors, because oh, sure. it all starts with scrolling. Um, because it's scrolling is just the easiest way that we get that that initial dopamine hit Mm -hmm. Um, and then you just want something more and more and before you know it you're watching stuff you never wanted to watch can you can you comment on it like because you use a strong word right you said it's carcinogenic and I I appreciated that because it is (laughs) you know and we have to call a spade a spade Uh, I guess the second element of it like you used a practical example where you you have this awareness now where it's like Oh, I really, I want to be present with my boy. He's only 16 months old. I want to be present with him. I'm going to put my phone in another room. Like there's a real yeah. practical principle at play with something like that. And I'm wondering if you can talk to this audience a little bit, because I think we we definitely, I want to hear your thoughts for sure. Because you have, you're, just a, you're a very good thinker and um, your philosophy would be fascinating to hear a bit more, but I would also love for you to just comment on the practical things. How do we keep this poison out of our lives, I guess, even though it's sure. not going to be out of our lives but we have to somehow regulate it obviously so go for it
1: that's a perfect word i think regulate is a is a great word i'm never going to advocate for extremes so yeah. if you can't tell right it's like <laughs> tension balance like like i think that that stuff is is really really helpful and just realistic for for humans um i'm never going to say like just go get a flip phone and now if that's your deal hey awesome but i think we're supposed to be in the world not of it. And it's hard to be in the world without a phone like yeah. it, it, I think that there's valuable content that we need to be providing to the world and by the world scripture, when it refers to the world, means people who are outside of the covenant community of God. OK, so the, the we need to be engaging with culture. And the only way to engage with culture and to be a light in the middle of darkness is to have these devices like you kind of need these things, you know. So. Yeah. All right. So it's necessary how do I create guidelines? I, I genuinely think like, like, um, hey, no. Phone. My wife is a stickler on on boundaries. Like literally last night I had my I was sending an email on my phone, like while I was in the room, like in our bedroom. And she went, hey. The bed, our room is the boundary marker, like, so right. I'm going to I'm going to take your iPad I'm going to walk you out into the living room. (laughs) You can finish your work out here. But like once we hit this door, like there's a physical boundary. I actually experienced this as a youth pastor. So sometimes I like to give examples that are foreign to kind of like help us to understand, you know, so like when I first took over the youth group, there was a sanctuary like we had a sanctuary where we had worship and the preaching of the word and all that good stuff and small groups and, um. But the the design of the room meant that there were video game stations and snacks, like a snack station inside of that room. So, like, you know, from six to I don't know, from six to seven, you know, there was there was a basketball court that was separate. But then inside of the sanctuary, there was, you know, a snack area, video game stations, um, pool tables, like there was all this stuff and mm-hmm. and i remember saying like hey like uh and i just gotten hired at this mega church they were really proud of their you know youth facility space and it was amazing like they had spent a lot of money on this space and i didn't want to be dishonoring but i said hey like i just want to teach you a lesson it's called theology of place so from from you're saying from 6 to 7 kids are going to play basketball eat snacks video games pool okay great um Here's the problem that I was encountering once seven o'clock hit. Well, in the same room that they have to play video games, play pool and eat snacks. I now want them to like encounter God, (laughs) hear from the Lord. Yeah. Listen to a sermon. And it was whiplash. It's kind of like this room is not holy. There's nothing holy about this space. And so I was like, we actually need to redesign this. I know you guys spend a lot of money. We need to get the pool tables out of here and the (laughs) video game stations out of here. Just literally on the other side of that wall. And you would say, like, no, it's not that big of a deal. And I'd go, "Uh, no, it actually it actually is. Something happens to my brain, to my body. When I sit at a coffee shop or when I go to a co-working space, my body knows it's time to write. Or it's time to work or it's time to. And what my wife did just last night was say, hey, when we step into this room, we want our bodies and our brains to know that this room is designed for intimacy, connection, uh, that this room is designed for deep conversation, that this room is designed for affection, that this room is designed for love, that this room and and we were, you know, giving our son a bath. And, you know, this room is designed like this. This is not the space. So you're just going to go 15 feet out there and finish your email. And I think like that's what we would say regulate. We're, Mm. We're not saying get rid of the iPad, get rid of the phone. You know, what we are saying is going, okay. how do we make a word like holiness applicable in a 21st century context where we don't really use that word a lot yeah. and all holy means is that, okay, this space, the, the, the room I'm in right now, well, it's designed for podcasting. That's what it's designed to do. That's right. why there's a camera. That's why there's a mic. That's why there are couches and saying, okay, are there spaces in your life that just are not designed for phones <laughs> that aren't designed for scrolling yeah. where that just doesn't happen here. And a boundary can be physical. Like, hey, that doesn't happen in this room. But a boundary could also be scheduled. Hey, once it hits double digits, we put phones away. Phones stay in the kitchen. We charge phones in the kitchen. Hey, we don't. Whatever those boundaries are, I think it's important to model them, especially if you are a parent, because you can't enforce within your children what you don't practice yourself. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell parents all the time, hey, you know, when I was a teenager, okay, if I wanted to watch pornography as a teenager, first of all, I dial up <laughs> modem. Yeah. <laughs> so so second of all, we had a compact rosario in the living room. Okay. Right. If if I was gonna watch porn, I was like waking up in the middle of the night trying to get the computer on. I'm in a living room. You know, I'm risking a lot.
0: Big time. Especially those dial-up modems connecting to the internet. All kinds of noise and all that. Like,
1: yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That whole, like, deal, (laughs) you know? Whereas if we are saying that we think anyone is strong enough to just have this thing with them. Right. 24 hours a day. I'm here to tell you nobody is strong enough. To just have temptation this close to them all day, every day and and live porn free. I I don't see that as as realistic, like your chances of winning this aren't even very high, which means there needs to be some some regulation like and the regulation doesn't need to immediately just be put the phone in the room or, you know, it needs to be, you know, I I am a healthy person. <laughs> I identify as a healthy individual. Yeah. You know, therefore I'm going to make healthy decisions. Yeah. Um and for my health, not just mental health, my physical health, my overall my overall well-being. Um these it, it's funny I said me and my wife battle with infertility. Um and uh first first one of the first questions our doctor asked He said, hey, when you drive, do you put your phone like under your lap? You put your phone in your back pocket. Where are you putting this thing? Because (laughs) I was the one that was infertile with me and my wife. I struggled with male factor infertility. My my sperm count was like super, super low. And just practical questions. He's like, how close is this thing to your midsection? How close is this thing to your groin area all day long? And I was yeah. like, ah, close.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's like, yeah, that's not healthy. Like, mm-hmm. you, do you ever put that thing on airplane mode? Do you turn your routers off? Like, and I mean, this is getting pretty like. So when I say carcinogenic, I, I mean, spiritually <laughs> and literally like, yeah. no, like there's actual health ramifications um, to us just having untested technology around us all day long, and um, I think that we're, we're, we're not compartmentalized creatures. We are whole. Yeah. And so I used to say to the teenagers in my youth group, you know, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. I have now apologized to those kids. And I've said, that's not true. You mm. are a spirit. You are a soul and you are a body. Yeah. You've right. never met a human that doesn't have a body. Not ever. Jesus has a body. You yeah. have a body to be, to be embodied is God's design for humanity. And I get why I used to say that. I used to say that to emphasize that sex is spiritual, not just physical. Yeah. The intention was good, but what I was saying was actually just not true. Hmm. And I think that we have to look at humans in a bit more of a holistic way and say, man, scrolling leads to isolation. It leads to judgment of myself. It leads to shame. It leads to guilt. It leads to comparison yeah okay so i know it leads to all these things emotionally but it also leads to all these things physically that aren't healthy and um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm just gonna make healthy habits i'm gonna create some healthy habits so that i'm not fighting sin all the time but i can i can avoid some sin i don't have to i don't have to get in the ring with every single you know temptation some temptation i can i can actually just avoid by putting some uh by putting some really good, healthy safeguards in place that aren't like legalistic, that aren't pharisaical, but that are just, you know, remember, we don't want to overcorrect. So sometimes if we have grown up in a church that's kind of legalistic or pharisaical, the tendency is to go, I'm free. I'm free in Christ. (laughs) You know, I'm going to flaunt my freedom and I'm going to then like flirt with things that could easily get into sin so if you come from like a holiness background or like a legalistic background where like you know drinking is a sin you go to the whole other extreme where now you realize drinking is not a sin drunkenness is a sin but you're toeing the line there's a couple of times where you got a little too tipsy you know yeah yeah. okay how do we instead of overcorrecting, how do we correct maybe correction is hey our church said that they didn't drink because they said drinking was a sin. You know what? We don't drink, not because drinking is a sin, but we don't drink because drinking is not wise. Hmm. Or, hey, we drink on these occasions. You know what I'm saying? There, There's yeah. a way to, if, if you come from a background that is a little bit more tight, rigid, pharisaical, I could see how you could go, no, putting your <laughs> phone away is just another pharisaical thing. And I could go, okay, I'm sensitive to that. However, your motivation could be totally different. Yeah, right. You don't have to overcorrect and then let freedom ruin you. Okay. You can actually get to the middle and find tension. So um, I I hope that kind of weaves together a lot of the different themes and thoughts that we've been talking about. Today and and um I hope our
0: listeners aren't getting lost and not in at my, all man
1: in my stream of consciousness <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it was really good and and you're right like it, I like the way you tied that all into identity because that's where it all starts and ends um the book is called brainwashed it's available on all major platforms very easy to read as well which I know our listeners like especially so we'll put a link to to that in the show notes dude your fountain of knowledge and wisdom thanks for your time today and for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and um, I'm uh, I'm I was honored, and this is a fun conversation. This is one of my favorites. Don't tell Don't tell any of the other <laughs> podcast hosts that I that I've been on with. This is
0: great. Oh, that's that's cool, man. Thanks. Beautiful, man. There you have it. That was really cool, uh, man. I, I like that guy a lot. I there, there's some people I interview where I'm like, oh wow, they they think so differently. I learned so much. Um, you know, you kind of feel inspired and challenged and all that stuff. Uh, with Manny, it, not that I didn't feel some of those things, but like he just, he hit on so many things and sometimes he was even talking about them in a way that I would talk about them. I was just getting excited, man. I was like, this guy's cool. And uh, we we just have uh, a lot of alignment in our messaging. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you maybe took some notes and, and got some inspiration. And I do recommend, I really recommend you get the book. We're going to put the link in the show notes, but it's called Brainwash. Very simple read. And I think I did mention it in the interview, but like Manny has this way of just explaining concepts and really articulating stories in a way that's very captivating. Like I, I just when he when he got to the stories, I was like, okay, dude, you got me. Like I am listening. Tell me more. And so I know you're gonna um, you're gonna benefit from this. The link is there. And if maybe this got you a little bit inspired, you're thinking, you know, I'm realizing that in my pursuit of sexual integrity, holiness freedom from addiction that i've really been going after behaviors and i really need an identity shift uh, it's funny that one of the reasons we align so much with manny is because identity shift is our third pillar of the recovery process and i've actually created a resource that talks about our entire system all three pillars and all of the kind of contextual information that you would need to apply them in your life The book is called The Last Relapse. That's the resource. And it's really the best thing I could give you for free that would help you in your recovery journey. You can get a copy at thelastrelapsebook.com. It's super, super easy uh, to get your hands on it. And in a matter of moments, you could have a blueprint to walk you from A to Z to experience a life of freedom and a life of holiness. So you can check that out as well. Thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate this. Hope you have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.